It's great to be here with you this morning. I want to see all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day. And remind everyone that if it weren't for Father's Day, there wouldn't be Mother's Day. Just a thought. Just a thought. Think about it. Think about it. Well, this morning, I want to look at the example of three fathers. Three fathers. And we're continuing in on our series uh, of David, a man after God's own heart. And we're going to begin by looking at a story that I came across of a law, of a court case that took place in Massachusetts in the 1920s. Apparently what happened was a man was walking down by the bay and fell off the pier after getting entangled in some ropes and began to scream for help as he was in this cold, uh, deep water uh, and couldn't swim. He said, I can't swim, someone help me. And his friends heard him from a distance and was unable to, to get to him in time. But the tragic thing is that there was an individual who was sitting on the pier who was pretty much right next to him watching this man drown. He was sunbathing. Later, people found out he was an excellent swimmer but chose to be indifferent, to do nothing. The family was so distraught over this that they brought this law case against this man. And the court reluctantly said that the man had done nothing wrong, at least not legally, and the family lost and we look at this account and we realize indifference, indifference may not be illegal, but it's certainly immoral. Indifference may not be illegal, but it's certainly immoral. And I was looking at that story and I'm so thankful that God is not indifferent to any of us. God the Father is not indifferent to any of us. He's not just standing by watching us drown and he offers us help in the midst of our dire predicament. When we think of God the Father, words such as grace, which speaks of undeserving love and acceptance, or, or compassion, which speaks of, of this tender-hearted sympathy and kindness toward people, or mercy, which of course speaks of compassion for the downtrodden. All these words, peace, compassion, mercy, describe God the Father, his character, and his love for each and every one of us. These three words best describe God's love for us and the love he desires for us to have towards others. What hinders us from having such love for others? I mean, that's the question. What hinders us? Well, Jim Simbola, this is what he notes. He says, when self-interest is not involved, most people could care less about the plight of others. Think about that for a minute. When self-interest, when my interest is not involved, then most people could care less about others. Selfishness keeps us from loving others as we ought. But look at the example of Christ. Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looked over the crowd, he looked beyond the surface appearance. He even looked beyond the sin that dominated their lives and he, he gazed deep into their hearts and felt compassion for their weak and confused state. I mean, here it really is. Compassion, grace, and mercy come from a heart infected by the condition of another. That these, these are more than words. The true compassion, true grace, true mercy come from a heart infected by the condition of the heart of another. Unfortunately, all too many Christians feel that that discerning the faults in others is a sign of spiritual maturity. When, when, when this couldn't be further from the truth, the real mark of a believer is the ability to have a, the, their hearts moved by what others are going through. The world is full of people who are, who are battling and waging over sin. 
where the world's full of people who are daily consumed by the struggles of life. And, 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 and here we are with this amazing example. Every believer is called to follow the example of our Lord. In James, we read these words of our Lord and Savior. James 5, second part of verse 11. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. That's who God is. Like, I don't know what your understanding is of God. I, I don't know. Maybe this is your first time in, in a church this morning to a gathering like this. And maybe you're online watching. And maybe you're sort of wondering, who is this God that we're talking about? He, he's the Lord of compassion. He's the Lord of mercy. I, I want to take a moment and look at an example of love that happened thousands of years ago. It, it's in the time of kings and kingdoms. Now, we're in Israel. And during this time, it was very common that if one dynasty ended, in other words, one kingly family came to an end and another kingly family rose to power, but they would put to death the entire family of the previous ruling family. So here we are. We're in Israel. And the king was Saul. He and his son Jonathan have died in battle. And the news reaches David, who's grieved. However, the Lord has chosen David to be the next king. And so now David is king, and Saul's family is scared. I mean, you can sort of figure out why. The common knowledge of the day was this king, King David, was going to put their family to death. And after all, they also knew that their, their kingly father, grandfather, relative, Saul, had sought to kill David. So they're not in a good situation. They were afraid that, that David would try to kill him. He had even good reason to, humanly speaking. It's no wonder that Saul's family feared David. Saul's family was scared that he would put them to death. So look what happens in the midst of this panic. 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name is Mephibosheth. So you can picture what happens. The news comes that, that Saul and Jonathan have been killed in battle, that David has been proclaimed king, and out of fear, the nurse picks up this child who she has care over, Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. And as she's running, she carelessly drops him, and he becomes lame in his leg. I, I mean, these are permanent injuries that Mephibosheth is going to have to deal with for the rest of his life. Now, fast forward a minute. Mephibosheth is an adult with a severe disability. And here's King David. King David one day is overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the blessings of God. Have you ever been overwhelmed with the blessings of God? David's overwhelmed with the blessings of God. All of this has been poured out into his life. And he remembers his former friendship with Jonathan. And this is what we read in 2 Samuel 9.1. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? I mean, remember, the common understanding was that kings put the previous families of, of the previous king dynasties to death. And here's David doing something totally countercultural, totally against sort of the kingly, kingly code of the day. He, instead of bringing about fear, what does he do? He brings compassion and mercy and grace. I mean, it's an example of true love. And this servant responds to David in 2 Samuel verses 2 through 3, chapter 9. 
He says, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Now camp there for a minute. Why do we have a couple of times mentioned in scripture that Mephibosheth is crippled in his feet? Well, it's hard for us because in 2023 sensitivities, we go, well, that, no big deal. He's just a person. What's... But in the day of David, to have any type of infirmity, any type of, any type of flaw whatsoever, people would look at you and think that, that something you had done wrong toward God. <laughs> that you must be a bad person, that you did something toward God and God was sort of repaying you by these things. And we understand that's scripturally not true. In fact, Christ makes extremely clear in one case in the Gospels where he says, listen, we live in a fallen world and, and things like this happen. This isn't, just, this isn't because of sin. But that's what they felt. And so, in other words, Mephibosheth has this issue that he, he would have been ostracized for. And the, the writer wants us to understand that. But Mephibosheth isn't just the son of the grandson of Saul, the individual who tried to kill David's life, but he's an individual most of society has rejected. Most of society would look at, maybe not to his face, but certainly behind his back would say, man, he must have did something really bad to be in that situation. Unfortunately, even in 2023, it's easier to see the faults in others than it is the faults in ourselves, isn't it? So this is the situation we find ourselves in. So David proceeds, look at verses four through seven. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is of the house of Makur and the son of Amiel at Lolabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, of the son of Ammi of Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So he says to Mephibosheth, not only will I not kill you, that's what, that's what Mephibosheth was scared about, right? Trembling, I'm sure, before David. He says, but I'm going to restore to you all your family lands, and even more than that, you're going to eat at my table. Like your, your father Jonathan is not here. I will be like a father to you. You'll eat at my table. You'll be cared for. It's not just about eating. It's about being cared for in every single way. And, and I read that, and first of all, can you think of a better meal than at a king's table? I mean, if you could eat anywhere, think about it. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, the king's table would have been a, the king's table would have been a spread. And he says, that's where you're going to eat. Instead of offering what Mephibosheth thought was going to happen, what commonly would have happened, what does David offer? He offers hope. You see, when the love of God is in a person's heart, one desires to release others from fear, not create it. When a love of God's in a person's heart, one desires to release people of fear, not create it. Here's a quick question. Does anyone know which command Jesus shares in the Gospels more than any other of God's commands? It's fear not. And, and we see that over and over and over again in Scripture. Fear not, fear not, fear not. And, and why do I bring that? Because our Lord does not want us to live in fear. Our Lord does not want us to live in fear. This is remarkable. 
David had every right, at least humanly speaking, culturally speaking, to put Mephibosheth to death, but instead he showed him kindness. Listen to what David sets in motion for Mephibosheth in verse 10. He says to Mephibosheth, you and your sons and your, you and your, sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Quite a blessed man. But he's saying to this servant who brought Mephibosheth to him, you and your sons, you're going to actually care for the lands that I'm giving back to Mephibosheth. So he has bread to eat. But then he adds on top of that, but don't worry because he's going to be eating at my table. In other words, he's going to have more than enough. He's going to be doubly blessed with everything he needs. Mephibosheth ate at the king's table regularly. I mean, what an example. What an example of compassion and grace and mercy. What an example for us to follow. For us to look at how do we follow this example, let's look at Christ's example again. Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew writes about the, the mercy of Jesus throughout his gospel and, and, the, and this, the leaders had failed to take up their responsibility of properly caring for those who they had, were called to lead. And, and so Jesus sees these people. He saw them. And, and the first thing we need to do, if we're going to follow the Lord's example, if we're going to follow David's example, is we need to see people to show loving mercy to them. But we can't show loving mercy to those who don't see. We have, to, we have to be willing to see. We have to walk slowly through the crowd. We have to sort of, at times, understand what our mission really is. And for any of us that are driven, I'm guessing that can be difficult. I know it can be for me. Uh, sometimes, you know, when, when I need to go into a store, uh, I'm not one that often shops, per se. I have a mission. And I go in, I get what I need, and I go out. Anyone else out there like that? And when I have a mission, I'm pretty focused on that mission. And there's times where I can just think that's my mission when the reality is maybe God has me there for a bigger mission. You know what I'm getting at? But in order for me to do that, I've got to slow down a bit. I've got to stop and look. I've got to see people. And our Lord sees us. Our Lord sees you. Verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus' disciples are urged to pray earnestly and to send laborers into the harvest, kingdom laborers. And the amazing thing is that, that many are ready to receive the good news of the kingdom. Ready to receive it. And what's the point? Well, we've got to really love them and pray for them. And I just got to point this out. It's, it's sort of one of those things that, that sort of concerns me about the church, not crosswinds, the church, the church in America. I hear a lot about prayer for, for the harvest. And that's okay. That's good. But sometimes we pray as if there is no harvest. And Jesus makes it really clear. The harvest is, I know it's second service. It's time for lunch, but help me out here. Plentiful. The harvest is what? Plentiful. It's the workers who are few. It seems to me that when, if we would spend 
our time praying for workers, we'd be spending better time in prayer than the harvest. Not praying that there would be a harvest because there is a harvest. The problem is maybe we just don't see the harvest. And so we pray, Lord, give us seeing eyes and may there be people who will see and love enough to pray and not just pray, but to go. Look at Matthew 10.1, one of my favorite parts of, uh, of, of this account. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every disease and every affliction. The Lord calls the disciples whom he initially said, go and pray. And then he says to them, guess what? You're the answer to your prayer. You're the answer to your prayer. See, we've got to go to reach people with the compassion, mercy, and love of God. We've got to live sent lives. And it's just an amazing thing that Jesus does here. You know, you can just see him as they're praying, Lord, there's these needs. Would you send someone? God, would you do something? And then Jesus says, guess what? You're the someone you've been praying for. You're the something that's needed. How about you? How about me? How many times have we been in situations where we said, Lord, please send someone to that person? Maybe you're at work or school and you're like, man, this is, this is a dark place. Not because of the light, because of what's going on. And you're saying, man, would you just do something, God? And the Lord says to us, what? You are the someone I've sent. You're the something that I'm presenting there. Be light. Be hope. Share the message. See, love, pray, go. I mean, when I look at this, I think what a, what a really... Simple example. I mean, what's really needed to show loving mercy to people like the Lord is really prayer and obedience. What, 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 when we see the need, our hearts have a greater capacity to love. And I was thinking about that, on the, especially on his Father's Day. It was an amazing thing. I remember when my first child was born, I have three children. And when the first child was born, just this amount of love that I had for this, this precious new life. And then when Krista gave birth to our second child, it wasn't like I had to divide my love in half. It was like my capacity to love grew. Any parents out there? And now I fully love these two kids. And then our third came, and I was like, wow, I fully love all three of them. And then my grandkids came. Pow! My dad always said that if he could have jumped like right past us to the grandkids, he would have. And I thought he was joking until I had grandkids. Like, I get it. I get it. I mean, really, when we see the need, when, when we allow the Lord to do a work in us, our capacity for those around us to love them just expands. And as we love, we're drawn to pray. And as we pray, we're empowered to reach those in need. I mean, again, what a simple example the Lord left us to follow. Neil, uh, Neil Cole asserts. He says, the only barrier we face to a greater harvest is a lack of compassion that motivates prayer which releases workers, which yields the harvest. Think about that for a minute. The only thing keeping us from reaping the harvest is being harvest reapers who see, who love, who pray, who go. Mephibosheth, what compassion shown to him. Mephibosheth regularly ate at the king's table. Picture this with me. 
picture this with me. As Mephibosheth is, is so undeserving yet unconditionally loved. Imagine this scene. It's dinner time. The, bitter, the dinner bell rings throughout King David's palace and King David's the first to show up to the table and he sits, of course, at the head of the table. He's king after all. And then you have Amon, clever and crafty Amon, who comes in and he sits left of David. And then this beautiful young lady by the name of Tamar comes in, David's daughter, and she takes her seat at the table. Across the way in the study of Solomon, reading the scrolls. And he sort of edges his way in and takes his seat at the table. And soon enough, through the door comes Absalom, powerful, handsome Absalom. He sits at the table. Perhaps that night Joab shows up. Joab, the mighty warrior of David, that night decides to come as a dinner guest and he sits at the table. I mean, the table is filled with the elite of Jerusalem, the who's who of Jerusalem, the most popular, the most powerful, the most beautiful people in the kingdom. And then everyone waits. They don't just dig in. King David waits. And before you know it, you hear the sounds of a man shuffling his feet down the hall. You can hear the sound of the clump, clump, clump of crutches. And Mephibosheth awkwardly slips in and finds his seat at the king's table. I ask you this morning, did Mephibosheth understand compassion? Did Mephibosheth understand mercy? Did Mephibosheth understand grace? Did, did he understand God's love? I believe he did. I believe he did. I'd be amidst this morning if I, if I didn't share that there, a day will come when all of us who are in Christ will be sitting at the, at the King of Kings table, our Father's table in paradise, talking about a spread. We'll all be welcomed who, who have received Christ as Savior and Lord. That's the only entry fee. Receiving what Christ has done for us. His love, his compassion, his mercy, his grace on that day will cover all of our crippling needs. You see, God loves us unconditionally and we can do the same for others through his power and his leading. Who do you let sit at your table? To whom do you show compassion and, and mercy and grace? Is there, is there someone right now that you need to forgive? Is there someone the Lord's brought to your mind that, in whom he desires for you to show love? Perhaps it's you who needs to accept the Lord's unconditional love. Maybe you're here in this room or in the chapel or watching online. Maybe it's you that God is saying, I love you, I see you, come to me. Receive life in Christ. We're drawn to God by his kindness and love. And others will be drawn to accept salvation in Christ. God's profound love when they see his love in us for them. I, I, I said I was going to share the example of three fathers, and I, I talked about our Heavenly Father. I, I talked about David. The third's my dad. My dad. My dad was a great dad. Uh, he was always there for me. He put in long, hard hours, but when he was home, he was home. I, I, I heard men who would always ask, this is sort of a question guys ask each other, what hobbies do you have? And my dad would almost always say, my hobby's my family. He didn't mean that in a bad way. He just man, I don't really have time for a lot of other things. I work hard when I'm home, I want to be home. And that was my dad. Now you would think my dad had great examples growing up. But the opposite was true. My dad was actually a generation curse breaker. 
Like this word may offend some of you, and if it does, that's okay. I don't want to hear about it. Uh, you can tell somebody else you were upset with me. You got to forgive me if you're a believer. Get over yourself, okay? So the, all the men in, in our family before my dad's generation, his dad, his dad before him, and so were losers. They were abusive. They were absent. It was the type of family where absence was better than presence because of the type of men they were. That was my dad's upbringing. My dad left his family poor, broken, with nothing. And when he had been there, he was abusive. Abusive to my grandmother, abusive to my dad, his brothers, his sisters. And so how did my dad become the man he was? I know what you're thinking. Well, he must have came to Christ. No, he didn't at that time. He reverse engineered it. He said, someday I'm going to have a family. And when I do, I'm going to be everything my dad was not. And he was. I can remember holding my first child and, and literally thinking, one of the first thoughts that came to my mind, Lord, just help me be half the man my father is. I came to Christ when I was five. He didn't come to Christ when he was 15. When he came to Christ, his mission didn't really change. It, it was just empowered by God. Like, he, he wasn't just my dad at that point. He became a father to my friends. And when I was in high school, dad was like a surrogate father to many of my friends. And what sort of troubled me a little bit, and still does to this day, not just my friends who came from families who didn't know Jesus, but friends from families who came from Christian homes whose dads were either abusive or absent. Friends who, when their parents came to church, they looked like they were a great family, but when they went home, all chaos pursued. And my dad was a, a parent to them. I remember going away to college and calling home, and, and, and a friend picked up the phone at my house. And I said, you do realize I'm in college. What are you doing there? And he said, well, Chris and I, two of my friends, Chris and I just decided to come over and hang with your parents. We're spending the night. I said, are you sleeping in my room? They said, of course we're sleeping in your room. You have a good bed. That was the type of dad I had. What an example. What an example. What's consistent between God the Father and David and my father was they saw the need. They took time to see it. As dad became a believer, he joined the club and, and prayed. And with the love of God made a difference in people's lives. I want to say to you this morning, whether you're a father or not, we all in Christ have the ability to see so we can show mercy. We all have the ability to allow God to fill us with his love so we can pray and go. And, and dads, if you're sitting here and saying, that's not the dad I've been. Here's the good news. It's the dad you can be today. How the enemy wants us to live in the past in a place we can do nothing about when God says, no, live in the present and just see what I can do from this day forward. Trust him. Trust him. I triple talk dare you on this Father Day. Trust him. See what he can do in through you. For all of us, I ask this question. Who sits at your table? And as you're thinking about that, if you're in Christ, just let this sink in for a minute. God lets you sit at his. If you've yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, he says, come to me. I've got something for you. 
as I pray in just a moment, whatever that next step the Spirit of God's laying on your heart to do, again, whether you're here in the chapel online, won't you take it with them? You won't, you won't ever regret it. Allow the, the mercy, the compassion, the, the grace of God to wash over you this morning. Go in that encouragement. If you have to receive Christ, receive him this morning. Walk into the abundant, forever life he has for you. Together, let's just thank our Heavenly Father for all he's done for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for being the perfect father, the only perfect father. You're the king of kings, but you're the father of fathers. You're the one who gives us the ability to, to be the dads that you've called us to be. You, you give us the ability, that if we haven't been those dads, to become those dads today and begin to walk in that. The scripture says you're, you're the father to the fatherless. And, and maybe there's some in here who can relate to my dad's story who their upbringing wasn't one like mine was. I mean, when I think about it, my, my kids and my grandkids think they're from this long lineage of, uh, of families who love each other and who, who serve you. And the reality of it is we're not. That, that was, they're only a generation or two away from that not being true. So God, thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for inviting us to sit at your table. Thank you for giving us life in Jesus Christ. In fact, I pray even now, if there's anyone who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, that in the quietness of their heart, where they find themselves, they would say yes to you. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for being resurrected for our salvation. Thank you for seeing us and loving us and doing the work of saving us. Thank you for this amazing invitation that gives us this beautiful picture of when Jesus returns and we spend forever with you in paradise. This, this feast that's going to take place. And at that moment, there'll be no tears. There'll be no hurt. There'll only be joy. Thank you for that view of the future that gives us that hope, that sure hope today. So take us wherever you want to take us. May we live set lives. If you bless us gathering, Lord God, as we scatter, may we not just pray for someone to do something. May we not just pray for you to do something. May we be the answer, Father God. In the places where we live, where we work, where we go to school and play. And thank you that we're on this journey together as Crosswinds. And most importantly, with you. Thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.